podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap in association with Reds Bet. Reds Bet, where half of their profits, your losses, goes to Liverpool fan-related causes. If you do sign up, do select uh, where you want to sign, where you want the money to be allotted to. Uh, and if it's not for you, it's not for you. And always, always be gamble aware, gamble responsibly. Liverpool have beaten Bournemouth three 0 and I am joined by Josh Sexton, Dan Austin, and the Liverpool Echoes, James Pierce. Really pleased to have the three of them in today. And some days, I'll go to you first, James. Some days it just gets to feel right, and it feels right quite early and it's quite strange really Liverpool took a very early lead against Leicester but by 15 minutes things didn't seem right Liverpool were nil-nil against Bournemouth and I was sat in my seat and I was thinking <laughs> we're winning this we're probably winning this three or four nil yeah 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 do you know what it, it just had that feel to it didn't it I think from the start there was just you know a, a, there was everything was different compared to the last two games in terms of right from the atmosphere in the stands and and just you know the, the positivity and intent on the field as well. You know, really good tempo and intensity from the off. And um, you know, I read some Eddie Howe's comments afterwards where he said, you know, he felt that they were comfortable up to the first goal. And, and wow, the, uh, I'm not sure what game he was watching to be honest, because I, you know, I, I was sat there thinking Liverpool are absolutely bang on this today. And, and you're right, I was, you know, and I, I, I thought the outcome was was never ever in doubt and obviously the big difference to the Leicester game was when when Liverpool did go in front they built on it um and you know in the end if you'd be an ultra critical the only thing you'd say is they should have had a lot more than three uh, Dan it's interesting James there mentions the, th- the big thing I noticed when they went one um was Milner not just Milner Milner Van Dijk I thought you saw Wijnaldum was very much saying to the, the lads higher up the pitch, we keep going. We were, there was a lot of this hand movement, which I know isn't much use, the thing, the circular one in the air mm-hmm. uh, that they do. It, there was a lot of that, wasn't there? There was a lot of, as soon as they went one, it was, we're going to put this to bed. Yeah, because they'll have seen what happened in the previous games and they'll have felt the, the nerves and the tension from the crowd in those games. Um, it felt like, I think in the previous games, and certainly West Ham, things were disjointed. Um, it felt like we had three separate areas of the pitch. Like the defence was playing a game of football, the midfield was trying to play a game of football, but not really. And the attack was playing a different game of football as well. And this one felt like it was a group of players that knew each other, that knew how to get through the game from a technical and tactical point of view, but also from a psychological point of view. It felt like they'd kind of reset back to maybe the tail end of last season or kind of November, December time this season, where they just knew they were the better team on the football pitch and they all knew the runs that each other were going to make. They all knew that every player on the pitch has got a great field of vision and is capable of playing a really good pass at any moment. And it just looked like they had this kind of self-assuredness about each and every one of, of, of the players on the pitch. And that meant that they were able to... I think take more risks as well in this game from an attacking perspective as well in, compa- in comparison with the last two. I think especially at West Ham, there was a lot of holding on to the football and trying to play the perfect pass and trying to maybe force things a little bit too much because because there was a sense of concern with how the game was going, but also because there was just quite a few players there that, that either haven't played for Liverpool for quite a long time or have not played together enough to, to really understand each other's tendencies. Whereas this one, even though it was pretty much the same personnel by the Wijnaldum for Lallana shift, it just felt like they understood each other on like a really deep footballing level. On this, Josh, there's the, firstly, is the the idea that they just needed to get a couple of games to get into the stride a little bit? I think we're going to come on to talk a lot about Keita, but I think you can see that Keita's himself sort of grown into what he's done and maybe been shown some videos, not of what he's done badly, but of what he's done well in the two games prior to this one. But I also wonder, is there something in, there's bits and pieces of what Bournemouth do that maybe suit us a little bit? You know, we went to their place, we scored four, we scored four at their gaff last season, we scored three at home against them last season. Is there stuff that Bournemouth do, do that sort of suits us to some extent? I think so, yeah. I think the the high line is, is the first thing you look at in terms of the way they play because they're, they're a team who, in terms of their personnel, they don't really seem to have they don't really seem to have the personnel to operate with a high line. To be honest, to look at Steve Cook and and Diego Rico, I thought Harry and Steve Cook a, here, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. But I thought Diego Rico for for a lad who's come from the Spanish league and is probably quite used to playing a high line or, or at least used to teams getting behind you. I thought he was I thought he was absolutely dreadful to be honest. Uh, I think the pressing was another one as well. You, you sort of look at the way a couple of our goals come, all the way most of our chances come, and, and they sort of press in, in numbers. And a- Andrew Sermon, I can't remember whether he starts the game, does he, or does he come yeah. on? Um, but but he, him in particular, the way that he sort of the way that he pressed and brought a defender with him. 
it just seemed to leave gaps in behind and I think that's probably the the, the, the areas that Bournemouth suit you is because they're they're playing like a team who have who have world class players. They're playing like a team who have who have the quality of Liverpool's players, but they don't really have the players to operate in that system which suits us. Um James, I wonder if I think Liverpool they were more creative early against Leicester again, let's make that clear. Literally they scored the goal. But there was less of an intensity that day. And there's yeah. a genuine intensity here and the atmosphere, the first half atmosphere in particular from from the crowd. I wonder the extent to which, you know, Jurgen Klopp doesn't exist in a bubble. He'll have had an awareness that there was desires for the atmosphere to ramp itself up. And I wonder whether or not he sent his players out with that message, which is they're gonna give you a lot today. So if you want to give it back to them early, we may well all get moving. Yeah, uh, without without doubt, and I think it was one of those days where the players and the fans like almost feed off each other because you know speaking to a few of the players afterwards in the mix zone and Trent Alexander Arnold was saying he, he'd never experienced Anfield like that for a three pm Saturday game. He said he'd been speaking to a few of the senior players saying you know do you ever something you know it was it was new to him and it was I think you know it, it, it is rare to have those kind of noise levels and see the scarves waving and. You know, and Andy Robertson said they could feel it from the second they went out for the warm-up. And he said, you know, it does make a massive difference. And it almost becomes like a cliche, doesn't it? And people are like, oh, yeah, you know, the power of Anfield and all that. But it's true. It's true. You know, it's there's so many examples down the years. And there's no doubt in my mind that the, Leicester, the atmosphere off the pitch affected the players at times during that, that Leicester game. And, and you know the the other side of the coin was Saturday, where you know it, without doubt it was inspirational. We we when we talk a lot about the atmosphere, we often refer to the way it's taken by our opponents. So we often do that. I think it's really important what you're saying there that we we almost are quite complacent about what it does to our own players. We like the idea that Anfield, I think maybe because of some sort of blag machismo, we prefer the idea that Anfield terrifies the opponents rather than the idea that it does something a little bit softer, that it lifts our lads. But, you know, from what you're saying there, that's what they think happened. That Forget what happens to Bournemouth. I didn't think Bournemouth looked particularly intimidated. I just thought they came up against the Liverpool side who were absolutely on it and the crowd added to that. Yeah, oh, but without, without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, it was there, there were little things as well that that seemed really different I remember there was one I think it was before when it was, when it was still nil-nil and Milner had rampaged forward down down the right and he was looking for a pass inside the box I think he he just overhit it and it went out for a goal kick and in recent games there's been where that would happen there'd be groans and 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 that you know actually there was applause for kind of the intent if not the execution of the pass and Klopp actually turned behind him and kind of nodded and clapped himself as if to say you know thank you you know that's that's exactly what this is all about. All of us in it together. You know, no room for negativity, no room for the nerves and anxiety we've seen in recent weeks. Let's be positive, and you know, we we saw the results of that. It was there for all to see. I don't think I felt one like that with that tone for a long time. I think we're really good at that kind of roaring aggression of an atmosphere, and that's what we see most often. And that's the thing that intimidates people, and that's on a European night what 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 really helps. And there's definitely space for both. But that at the weekend to me, I just loved being there for the whole really the warm, whole ninety it? minutes. It was yeah. just really celebratory. It was joyous. It just felt like everyone was having a really really nice time, and that can be very underrated. There are, there are brilliant atmospheres where you're just screaming and shouting, you're nervous, you, you, you roar in the morning, it's a game against Man United or it's Everton or whatever, and there's that kind of, there's that, there's that aggression that, that, that is the basis for the whole thing. And those are brilliant, and I absolutely adore them. But this was, was quite rare in the sense that, as you say, it was warm, it was just kind of... Like we were all on the same page, like we'd all realised what point we were at. We'd had the wobble, and like we all agreed on pitch and on pitch. Let's not do that again. <laughs> let's just let's just have a good time, eh? Because because why not? Um, and I think I was thinking about it the other day, after yesterday rather, like after the game and everything. Sort of which came first? Like was it because they started fairly well and scored early, and then the crowd was up for it and a bit more relaxed, or was it that the crowd was up for it from early on and then that kind of helped them to relax or whatever? And I just don't think it was either of them first. I think it was literally both. I, it, like almost, you mentioned about Klopp having, you know, definitely seen all the stuff and whether he'll have mentioned it to them or not or just kind of taken for granted that they'll have seen it on social media. But it just felt like from start to finish, there was an agreement between the 11 people on the pitch, the staff on the bench and the 50,000 in the ground. Let's just have a laugh. 
I think you can quite easily forget that it's a two-way street, can't you? The, the crowd sort of looks like it was, it was, it was a, you know, 50,000 people who'd had a had a week or so of introspection. Mm. They, they were sort of looking at themselves and going, "Well, we're we're criticising the players," and, and you know, Leicester felt like it was it was a weight of expectation. It was like City had dropped points at Newcastle, and we were all we were all almost in the ground, going, "You know, you need to do the job for us now, lads. It's not it's not it's not up to us. It's up to you to now to now win these points for us." And even West Ham away had had a bit of a feel of that as well. This this sort of felt like it was. It was Liverpool at the best when when they're sort of when they when they put in a corner a little bit and their backs the backs are a bit to the wall. It was like we're all in this together actually, and this is how we can help each other. Um, going back to what the eleven on the pitch were doing, Josh, the the, the shift in shape, I think, doesn't have help two, three, four of them arguably. Um, I think it definitely helps Firmino. Yeah. I think Firmino was a bit a bit halfway house at Leicester, sorry at West Ham, where he was, at, he was more central but still not the main central sort of force in the game. Uh, I think it helped when Alden. I think, and I think we'll come on to talk about Wijnaldum. Um I think, it, I think the, the way where Wijnaldum ended up playing, I think that helped him. I think it helped Keita, and I actually thought it helped the fullbacks as well. In that they, it, their job becomes very, very clear. It does less of the idea that they've got a, the, 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 it's just their the flanks almost just belong to them. I, I, I think it's a shift in shape back to what we saw last season, but we actually haven't seen all that much of it. This it's interesting. The one player you haven't mentioned there was the player that I thought it benefited the most, which was Salah. When I when I saw that you'd, that you'd written that on the agenda, I, I thought Salah was. One to benefit most because one of the things that almost frustrated me at West Ham away was that it felt like Salah didn't really get on the ball all that much. It felt like his, his, his touches in, in and around the box in particular were, were particularly minimal whereas in this game it was it was sort of Salah at his best but I think a lot of that is, is down to how it benefits Firmino as well because I think them they them two almost need each other in a game to, to sort of create the chances the way they were doing and, and, you, and you saw it for, for Salah's goal as well with, with Firmino's assist. It's, it's they, them two when they're at their best is when Liverpool are at their best almost. We do this thing with Salah where no one wants to do it, but we half do it because he's left-footed, because the way he comes off a flank, we often sort of think of him um, as having Messi-like attributes, Dan. I actually don't think he does. I think what Josh says there is really interesting. For me, in a lot of different senses, he actually reminds me of, of Cristiano Ronaldo, where in, sometimes you've got... Messi is such a football genius that he will broadly speaking sort himself out whereas sometimes you have to move Ronaldo in order to get the best out of Ronaldo sometimes you've got to do things that cater for him a little bit whereas I don't think you'd ever quite have to do that for Messi and that's you know without putting him he's very much currently in the class of those two players but those two players have been in the class that they, well maybe not entirely in the class of Messi but those two players have been in the class that they've been in for for 10-12 years so it's not to not to do hyperbole here but it seemed to me to to, to suit Salah that suddenly he was just in a back in a more unorthodox position which allowed him to constantly get on the ball yeah I think he certainly has commonalities with both of those players I don't think there's there's necessarily even one that he's more similar to I think he's got traits that are similar to both but he's very much his own and I think a lot of it can depend on on who the opposition is who the fullback or the centre half is that he's playing against, what kind of line they're playing in terms of how well he does because he, we've seen him play as as the front man in that Four two three one before, and he's played extremely well. I think it just quite often differs on first of all who the midfield is as well, because if you've got someone like Shakiri playing in the midfield and he's on the same side, maybe they're both at times operating in the same space yep. that, that the other one would want. So maybe that doesn't work as much. But when you've got one Alden behind you and you've got a lot more space, it works a bit better. Um, I think that. What's the, the the best thing about him is that no matter what position he plays in and no matter how quiet he might look, he's always in the game of football. He's always a massive, massive danger and he's always occupying at least one but usually two of the opposition defenders' minds. And I think as brilliant as Mane and Firmino are as well, I think they don't have that gravitas of, of like reputation as a footballer that... that, that I don't think Firmino is necessarily, if he's having a poor game or if he's having a quiet game, occupying the centre-halves, thought processes in the way that Salah is. Because whatever fullback he's playing against when he's on the right, that fullback isn't there and going forward. You're talking about, Josh mentioned how poor Diego Rico was. Diego Rico is probably just shitting himself for the majority of the game, really. He's probably just thinking, I can't go beyond halfway here. Because if I go beyond halfway and we lose the ball, they're probably going to score. Or at least they're going to have a really, really good chance. And one of the best players in the world is in behind me and I'm going to get a bollock in at half time. So I'd rather just play me simple passes, give it to the centre half and try and get as close to this fellow as possible. And that psychological weight, I think, does a lot of the work for him. That's not to say that he's not an excellent, excellent footballer. But by sheer reputation at this stage and sheer versatility of being able to move around the pitch, 
loads of the work he's done for him. He's, it seems to me I couldn't believe how much he got on it, James. And again, when you look back at the stats after the game, I think he received the ball about 55 times, which <laughs> he's probably our furthest most forward player in terms of average position because the way Firmino plays that role. And if you're getting a lad who's furthest forward most of the time on it 55 times across a game of football, that means he's getting on it once every minute. And I think that there's part of Salah that might prefer the idea that he plays through the middle. But the thing all attacking players want is the ball. Yeah. And so he can't come off that pitch and not feel like he wasn't constantly fed. Yeah, and I, and I think that was one of the big differences compared to the, the previous two games. I think that comes back to the, the balance of the midfield and the way that was set up. I think you know it's no coincidence that the, the front three were so much more effective on, on the weekend when, when the midfield was functioning as well as it did and completely controlling proceedings. And I think you know that, that control then, you know, Talk about this, the supply lines to, to the front three, um, and you, yeah, I thought Salah was absolutely top draw. But I, I think he also benefited from Firmino being back on it as well because he, he really worried me at West Ham probably more than any other performance on the night. I was thinking, oh, what has happened to? I, I couldn't remember a, a Roberto Firmino. It's probably his poorest performance on yeah. the club. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, and it was, and it just it feels like when when Firmino plays well, Liverpool play well. And it was, you know, he, he suddenly he was harassing defenders. He seemed to have more energy about him. You know, the, arguably one of the assists of the season to to put the third one on a plate for for Salah. Um, so that was one of the the biggest positives from the day for me. The fact that that it was it it was those fears about Firmino were, were laid to rest. When you say you think that. They, they became quite the partnership last season. It was one of the under understated things around yeah. both of the goal records was how they became quite a partnership. And again, I do wonder there where if Salah, you know, part of him wanted to and maybe move into you playing that sort of that, that that number nine role a little bit more, whether or not now, you know, it's a big marker performance. I think this one, the manager can look everyone in, in, in the eye in training when they when they're going away together and saying, you know, this worked. You got on the ball all the time. You got your goal. Yeah, Firmino didn't get his, but he was, as you say, he was so much more constantly involved. And it wasn't as though you mentioned. I was interested when Shakiri was mentioned, maybe getting in in Salah's space. I thought at times at West Ham, Kaiter and and Firmino were getting in each other's space a little bit. It just seemed so much cleaner, whilst so much more well integrated. Yeah, I think part of that it comes down to preparation as well because. You know, Klopp didn't want to go into too much detail and ask him about it last week because I think he feels as if if you tell tell people how it is, you get accused of trying to make excuses. But they, they, the preparation in terms of training was so poor for the the Leicester and then the West Ham games with the illnesses, the, the injuries, the late withdrawals that yeah. I don't think you know Klopp said they, you know they, he had to make three really late changes to the team at West Ham, so they hadn't they hadn't had that time to work on things, and I think. You could just sense going into Saturday that it had just been a lot calmer. You know, it was a much better prepared team. I think players knew their roles. I thought it was interesting. Klopp actually after the game, in like his separate little briefing with the written press, said that Cater was actually one of his first names on the team sheet for Saturday because he said he felt as if the, the signs were so promising in that second half at West Ham yeah. that he that he had to play him. And I think. I think we you know, we saw the the results of that because he you know he absolutely grew and grew in confidence as the the game went on. But yeah, f- for me the, the the massive difference was just that that control in the middle of the park. Um, Kaiser, I've been getting there done, and I think that you saw tiny signs against Leicester, significant signs second half against West Ham. Um, and it's interesting there if the manager was saying first on the team sheet and Abby Kaiser that you know it suggests that he's. I think one of the things the manager's brilliant at and maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves is is almost managing footballers' moments a little bit. Like he he almost understands how footballers themselves live seasons, live patches, live little bits and pieces. And I think this is a really good example of him choosing his moments to play Kite and even just a little bit deeper and give him the pitch to play with. Firstly, on the managing players thing, I think the the prime example of of how brilliant he is at that for me is uh, Dejan Lovren last season, where he has the game against Spurs, and pretty much everyone never really wants to see him play for Liverpool again. And everyone thinks he's probably being moved on in January, and they're going to have to buy a centre half and probably two. And by the end of the season, he's playing in a European Cup final, he's playing in a World Cup final, and he's this really quite consistent, very talented defender who's got a lot of self belief about him. And Klopp builds him back up from nothing pretty much there. He's had the embarrassment of being hooked after 30 minutes at Wembley. Um, he's, 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 
it's testament to, to the way that he, he works with them as people, I think. We've had very different managers who treat footballers in different ways, I think. He's, he's the stark contrast to Benitez in so many ways. In the, I don't think Benitez would ever do this kind of thing. That's not to say that one's a better manager than the other or anything. It's just about different methods. But Klopp is, is excellent at looking at them as human beings, I think. And managing them not just as, oh, well, this one's in form or this one's had a bit of an injury, but more, oh, well, how's this one settled into the city? What's he like with the group? How's he been in the week since the West Ham game where, yeah, he improved second half, but maybe he's not so happy with his performance. How can I help him through that? Um, and what I think was most enjoyable about Kaita's performance was that it wasn't, it wasn't spectacular. Um, and a lot of the things towards the end of the West Ham game, he was carrying the ball a long way and he was getting to the edge of the area and then it needed the spectacular. So he plays that really good ball through Turi for the chance at the end where he's offside. Uh, there's a couple of moments where he could maybe shoot from a bit of distance, 18, 20 yards or whatever. He doesn't quite try it. Everything just looked easier for him against Bournemouth. I think he was just a lot more relaxed about his performance. And there's different reasons for that, partly because, you know, the team starts well and, and they're not chasing the game and they're not desperately trying to win the game. They're already ahead. He's playing with people around him that he's more used to than the likes of Lallana. Um But it just seemed like, as you mentioned earlier, I don't think anyone in the week has concentrated on the things that he's done wrong. I don't think anyone's saying, oh, well, you weren't strong enough in this tackle or these passes that you're playing a bit short, you need to work on that. I think they've said, this was really, really good. And, you know, second half and you're giving confidence, just do a bit more of that. And you've got some players now around you who can maybe look after the, the stuff behind you a bit more. So don't worry. And that, that just gives him the extra freedom and the extra breathing space. And it was very reminiscent to me of, of the performance that he gave against West Ham on the first day. He's played very well in three games for me now. There's this one, there's... West Ham and there was Burnley at Turf Moor and Burnley at Turf Moor was a bit different I think from these two it was a bit more of the spectacular and him doing things on his own but this time and, and in that West Ham game it seemed like he just seamlessly fit into the unit like he knew what was going on around him and like he had a lot of rhythm and if he's going to get a glut of games now which I expect if Klopp's referring to him as one of the first names on the team sheet then that for me is the best sign The unspectacular point is the one there I think I think if you're a player who's, who's struggling form it's important that you get the, the basics nailed and I think one of the criticisms probably by my West Ham you know sort of from me in particular I, th I thought he actually played quite well against West Ham but it was a bit of a double-edged sword in that I thought he was trying to force things and I think when you're trying to force things it shows it shows you low on confidence and, and it means that things can go wrong but it also shows that you're trying and you're trying to, and you're trying to make things come off and he was trying to make things come off against West Ham but against Bournemouth at the weekend it all, it all seemed a lot more naturally he seemed like a player who who had that confidence flowing back through him now and he, and he was trusting himself to, to try a few things but like Dan said it was, it was just the unspectacular nature of what he did that was almost the most promising thing from that performance. James, one of the things I took from his performance as he grew into it again, because I think he starts well, and it's interesting, he starts well against Bournemouth and then grows into it, so by the second half you feel as though he's, if not quite running the show, not far away from it. There becomes, we talk often that sometimes about players needing a certain level of confidence. I actually think that that understates it and maybe understates it for Kiter. I think maybe he needs a certain level of arrogance. And, and that arrogance in a footballer is no bad thing. And I thought you got to see that I, by, by about 60 against Bournemouth. He, he'd gone through that little moment of realization that actually he's better than any of their footballers. And I thought that yeah. you, I thought that you got to see that from him. And then you got to see such assurance. Yeah. It felt like it was the day when he kind of felt that he, he does actually belong at Liverpool. And I, I think there's been times watching him in the last few months where you, you could see that he, I think he probably was racked by self doubt and, you know, it has worried me at times, especially the physicality. The number of times I've seen him knocked off the ball, and I think, um, but yeah, that you know, they're just. I think arrogance is probably yeah, is probably a good word. Just you know, and having that belief in himself to to try things, and you know, the the quality of the pass to release Firmino in the build up to the third is absolutely sensational. And you know, I, I don't think he'd have even thought about playing that pass, you know, a week two weeks ago. Do you think we underestimate how hard it is to to come into a side with 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 this front three, almost, you know, I think Kaita comes from being Leipzig's most important player, said yeah. he was two seasons ago. And suddenly you've got a fellow who scored 44 league goals last season. The fellow everyone says is the linchpin of the attack and he got 25. Sadio Mane's one in two since the, you know, since the 1st of January 2018. And you're meant to drop in and you're, you know, I think we think, oh, well, they're just footballers, they can just do that. I think that's a really difficult ask, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's also still relatively young, isn't he? What, do you think he turned 24 at the yeah. weekend? So... You know, and as the guy said before, you know, come into a new country. You know, he still he doesn't doesn't speak particularly great English. He's still working at that. You know, the the pressure and expectation of of life at Liverpool is so far removed from 
from Leipzig, where, where you know he was the he was the main man. You know, he, so I think you know it has weighed really heavily on his shoulders. And you know, he, even even you know it was his choice, obviously, to take the number eight shirt. You know, because he you know it was. I remember telling us in pre-season that his, his dad, you know, Stephen Gerrard, was his dad's hero, and um, yeah, you know, it was. All of that just adds adds to the pressure, and even if he doesn't feel it from outside, you know the pressure he places on himself. You know he know when when Liverpool spend fifty two million quid on you, you know you, you have that pressure that you need to deliver, and you know it, it has taken him a long time. But yeah, finally now we we are seeing the Naby Keita that we we saw in those YouTube clips a couple of years ago. Is there a Wijnaldum slash Henderson thing here? I think both Wijnaldum and Henderson have helped different. New signings come through things across the last couple of seasons. I think, for instance, you see Fabinho find his feet when he's playing next to Wijnaldum and arguably put his best performance in away at Wolves next to Henderson in the driving rain that day. Is there a thing here where he's not had a lot? He's not probably not had as much time with with either of those two as you might have anticipated on the pitch. And then there's there's also now Fabinho's finding his feet as well. I thought that he looked like he got to be the third cog in that midfield in a really nice way and in allowing him to be unspectacular at times, as Dan said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also it helped in the fact that so many other players around him were playing well because that's the other thing, isn't it? When you come into a you know at, at West Ham, it's easy to criticise. Cater, especially for the first half, but he was surrounded by a lot of mediocrity that night. That doesn't help you, you know, bring out the best in in yourself. And yeah, it was it was just a massive, massive step forward for him, wasn't it? Is there something in James says there, Dan? Other players playing well that sometimes you spend. You know, there was firstly we wait a year for Cater. It's not even just the money. We wait a year for Cater, but then we're prepared to spend over fifty million on him. And then there was a thing which was completely unfair on the footballers who were already present. And I think that that I'd like to think that argument's been won now. That he was going to come in in some way, shape, or form save Liverpool's midfield. Is there something here where he's actually never quite going to be that sort of player? In that he's going to be a really good centre midfielder for Liverpool, but he's never going to be Mo Salah. He's never going to be even Sadio Mane, who's had a profound impact on this squad. And that's sort of what he's in some way, shape or form being measured against when really he's a, an all-round midfielder. Who, he wins the ball back, I think, about 12 times or recovers it 12 times over the course of the game at the weekend. Plays a fantastic ball. Like, that's a really good game. And he gets to just have a really good game. We're not expecting him to run past four and score two hat-tricks. I think the best thing about him is that I, I probably agree with you right now that he's he's maybe not going to be the leading light of a Liverpool midfield. That, that's the one man that you look to as 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 a one-off anytime soon or or the central leader of it. But he's got so much in his locker. He's technically capable of so much that he could become that player. And that might be in four or five years' time when he's a bit older, his personality, his leadership skills have developed a little bit more and he's maybe found more of a niche as a midfield player. Or maybe but, when he isn't playing with three great attackers every single week. Perhaps, yeah, and there's more onus on him. But I think for now it's absolutely fine if he's the third midfielder, if he's the link between midfield and attack, if he kind of like carves out that niche for him at this stage in his career. I think from a physical and technical point of view, he can, he can pretty much be whatever he wants, or rather, he can pretty much be whatever Jurgen Klopp wants him to be. I'm sure that he could turn him into whatever kind of midfield player he wanted to, if, if, if he saw fit to do so. Like he did with Ronaldo, he turned him into a completely different kind of player to what he was previously at Newcastle or in the Netherlands. Um, the, the, the exciting thing about Keita is that, in theory now, he can bed into this role and play this way. And then, as the squad adapts over the years to come, you know, James Miller will move on at some point soon. There may well be moves for the likes of Henderson and Wijnaldum because they're that little bit older now than the likes of Fabinho and Keita. Maybe there becomes a new role. Maybe Liverpool ends up playing two in midfield and it's just those two together and it's Keita's job to be the one that's up and down the pitch, which it isn't really at the minute. I think the fact that there are so many possibilities with him is, is, is to me the most exciting thing. And it's also possibly why up until this game people have been a little bit unsure about him because there wasn't there wasn't a standout oh he's going to do this thing for us in the way that people see it quite clearly with Fabinho people thought they were getting something from from Fabinho they do get that they get a lot more as well but they kind of get the thing that they wanted from him maybe from Kaita it's just harder for people to perceive that because it's not a one one trait one characteristic yeah. one way of playing um 
he made it see a lot of the pitch. It was interesting when Alden was ahead of him, certainly first half. I think it changes a little bit second half, Josh, but I thought it was noticeable that when Alden was ahead of him, and it may well be that he's a footballer who, who just wants to have the pitch in front of him, wants to arrive arrive onto things. That could be part of this. I think it's interesting, isn't it, with Wijnaldum? We, we almost forget that he's he's been this, this sort of very different football to what he is at Liverpool throughout his whole career. I remember the uh, the great game he had for, for Holland, was, was it just a, a couple of months ago, and uh, people were comparing it to performances that the early Steven Gerrard would have been having, and he was, he was playing the number 10 then, and he gets his goal in that game as well. He in in this game he, he was really really like the the main man to get forward. I remember the 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 counter attack where where he squares it to Salah and it's and but the ball's not quite there. But that run when you sort of see it it's it's, it's clear as day. It's it's as though Jurgen Klopp's given him this license, which maybe he doesn't have in other games to to be the one to get forward. And you wonder how much of a influence Fabinho has on that as well. But it, but yeah, like you mentioned, he does he does seem to get forward even even more so than Kato. I wonder how much of that is is due to Kato's need to get on the ball maybe more a bit further away from the box more so than Wijnaldum needs to but yeah I thought he was he was he was magnificent at that um just a, a little question which is slightly mischievous uh how many great games did Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain have for Liverpool last season um I think Bournemouth away was one was was probably his, his breakout game almost if I'm remembering that rightly I think yeah. I think City at home is one as well City away in the, both so both legs of, of the Champions League game I think and City at home at Anfield as well. We had strange expectations around Oxley Chamberlain, uh, James, where you know some people felt, "What are we doing buying this lad?" Others thought, "Let's see what he can do." Then he has the the mixed start to his Liverpool career, where I think Klopp goes away and certainly works a lot with him on his fitness, and then he he peaks, but he peaks in a way where, for instance, he's good at West Ham away, he's good at Bournemouth away, but it really is sort of, we remember two, maybe three great Anfield performances, and now we would all talk, and we do, we miss him, we want to see him back. You know, Kaita now is not, he's not far away from, you know, he's, he's three excellent games between now and the end of the season, away from probably having had as many excellent games for Oxlade-Chamberlain, but this is back to the context in which you view a footballer. Kaita was meant to come in and save Liverpool's midfield, the midfield that got yeah. them to the Champions League final, and, co- and consecutive fourth-place finishes needed saving, and he was meant to do that, and that's not happened, and then, but now he's, he's not far away from actually having a pretty similar season to Oxlade-Chamberlain, if he, if he has three great games between now and the end. Yeah, you're, you're right, it's, it just comes down to expectations, doesn't it? Because you mentioned Oxlade-Chamberlain there and you know, I know, know a lot of fans when Liverpool signed him who weren't sure you know why why are Liverpool spending that amount of money on him and then you know over time you almost become pleasantly surprised that actually you know the, the Oxley Chamberlain the things he said about needing a fresh start the things about having the chance to play more centrally and have a manager that really believes in him that will bring the best out of him you know that did that did come true over what was it probably a three month period I'd say kind of after the the turn of the year last season. Whilst Cater's at the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? I think you know there was like this universal kind of like wow, you know we are getting yeah. you know the next Steven Gerrard. This you know and I remember doing various interviews with people that had worked with him, guy who um, who'd given him his kind of luck, his first break in France, and you know. You know, he, he was he said. You know, that, oh, you know, this is the nearest you'll find to another Iniesta, and um, you know, it was. You know, I think Didi Haman, who obviously knows his Bundesliga like the back of his hand, said that you know, this 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 guy's unique in the modern game. He's you know, in a in a game now with where we don't really get box to box complete midfielders. This guy is the complete midfielder, and so all of that kind of adds, doesn't it, to this picture that this fellow was going to come in and absolutely transform Liverpool but you know well I think you're right when you take a step back and you think it's not a massive surprise it's taken him time and, and now we are starting to see what what he has has got in the locker um when I get to goal um at the weekend James in general I think it's quite difficult and I mean this and I do mean this with the greatest respect to the footballers to have nailed on eight nine ten out of ten superb games in Liverpool's midfield I think because of a lot of what you're asked to do, a lot of it's a lot of blocking of passing lanes, which is most definitely not sexy. I think at times the footballers themselves, any of them get compared to, you've mentioned Gerard there, or the days when Xabi Alonso would turn up at Anfield and spend, you know, a complete 100 passes of which it felt like 45 of them were over more than 45 yards, where Mascherano would spend an entire football match hunting and gathering the football and driving a, driving a team on and even go further back to Haman or, you know, and all the way back if you want to, to Souness. But when Alden's performance at the weekend is just genuinely excellent it gets crowned with the goal 
And I, I think it's I, I think for all these midfielders at times they've all suffered from firstly the the sheer the scope of the front three. Now there's Van Dyke, now there's this goalkeeper. And you do at times sort of end up sort of saying, Yeah, yeah, they were probably the third or fourth best player on the pitch, but they're sort of set up to be the third or fourth best player on the pitch because yeah. there's these other lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you're right. It's almost like the, you know the hidden, the hidden work they do, isn't it? That maybe goes under the radar with, with a lot of people. But yeah, I thought when Alden was, a, I, I gave him man of the match. I thought he was absolutely immense on the, the weekend, and he he's such a versatile, versatile footballer, isn't he? You know, as Jed said, Jed said the Josh said that the um, you know when you think back to the player we watched at Newcastle. You know, he he, he was. You, you thought he was. You know, like a. You know, just basically an attacker who would the ball would come to him, and then you'd look to him to make something happen. Um, you know, Klopp has almost transformed his game and become this real key cog in the midfield who does so much of the kind of the dirty work, and it's just a, just an unbelievable team player. And you know, the weekend was a a nice reminder that he can actually affect games in the final third as well because. You know, he made that goal look ridiculously easy. And he also he set up Salah ten minutes before when he probably should take the shot on himself. I wonder if that informed his decision later yeah. on to do it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think one hundred percent it did. Yeah, I think because I, I couldn't believe it. He hadn't scored at Anfield since October twenty seventeen against Huddersfield, and you know he, sh- he should have pulled the trigger. You know, the one before where I think the reason Salah fluffs his kick is because he was, wasn't expecting the ball. It was like, you know, why are you passing to me to me there? Um, but there, you, you just saw when Aldem absolutely grow after that. I mean, he, Mane should really put that. Header away, second half that you know we'd have been talking about a, a quality when Alden assist as well. Do you think there's something, James? In we might we might see more of an Alden further forward. If we'll see what happens when Oxley Chamberlain comes back, but it seemed to me to be markedly different, and I wonder if it's where the managers sort of ended up. And you mentioned before, Kaita first name on the team sheet, he may well get himself into a situation where he's picking two from Kaita, Fabinho, and Henderson, and then maybe waiting for Oxley Chamberlain to come back, but maybe picking from when Alderman and and Oxley Chamberlain in terms of that other midfield role. Now, I just sort of wondered if we saw something there that he'll have really enjoyed those late runs, him filling the gaps that Firmino leaves. Is, is, is intelligent use of space but around the final third rather than in the middle of the park yeah it, it felt like the weekend was like a combination there that we hadn't really seen before and that was one of the, the great because it worked so well you know what a great option that is for Klopp going forward now I think because it, it was partly in, uh, enforced on him in terms of obviously once you lose Shakiri had an abdominal strain so it was like you know, I think once you don't have Shakiri, then you know that, that has an impact in terms of the shape you're going to play um it's easy to say he should take the shot earlier on. He is looking at the league's top scorer uh, next to him, Josh. So let's let's bear that in mind. Um, but he does knit so much together, and I think sometimes you you realise in absence what it is that a footballer does. Maybe we saw that against West Ham, where we saw how much we missed him. But it's it's a tremendous performance from Genie Wijnaldum, and that's not the first time this season. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's a player who almost quite bizarrely has, has divided opinion to some extent during his Liverpool career, and I, and I think it is the underwhelming nature of, of quite a lot of what his game is you know people people have said it, one of the criticisms in the past is that he goes missing in, in these sort of big big away games if you will and that he hadn't scored in away games so long which seemed to just hang over him so much but but it's almost that it's the ticking along nature it's, it's, the, it's the underwhelmingness that, that Klopp has brought into his game it's interesting James mentions there that he was he was sort of the go-to man for Newcastle to, to start off attacks because he is that in a sense for Liverpool but in, but in a very different way it's not so much pass the ball to him and then, and then watch him go it's that he's, he's just part of the this, of this sort of system where Liverpool are, are playing out of the back and then he's the one who carries it forward or he's getting it out to the wingers and he's and he's making the next sort of phase of the attack happen so I think a lot of it is is sort of underwhelming he's, he's almost one of them players who who is, is better when you watch him in the ground perhaps than, than he is when you watch him on, on the television or if you watch him on match of the day in particular which seems to be where a lot of people may be watching him in the past but um Counter-attacks, we probably should make a little bit more of them, to be honest with you, Dan. There'll be a bit of frustration towards the end of the game. I mean, obviously, Firmino should pass to Van Dijk for the aesthetic value. If he's foot-five centre-half runs, it sprints <laughs> 80 yards uh, and is, is on. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he'd oblige to put it into his path so he can drill it hard and low into the corner. I'd be, I'd be just be... Oh, play. Van Dijk's the type of centre-half that would have chipped him, though, wouldn't he? Really? Well, whatever it is he would have done would have been absolutely... I mean, let's be honest about this. Having watched Virgil shoot this season, he's the sort of centre-half who would have put it in rosette. But um, it, was, it was a great... Great shame in hindsight, and I understand Firmino's completely right in one sense to take the shot on. He's been very ungenerous, but when I was watching it, I was thinking, honestly, lad, he's six foot five and he's <laughs> just sprinted eighty yards. Give it to him. Um, 
but there is a couple of them could have been a little bit sharper. We could actually have made more of those. It almost looked a bit like a training session to me in the end, that because it was every time Bournemouth got a corner or an attack and set piece, it was like our lads had almost gone right, boys. This is how we break off this one. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 should really make it four or five. I'm fine with the fact that we don't, but we have the opportunities. Yeah, you were talking before to Josh about. Um the kind of benefits of playing Bournemouth and the Bournemouth to Liverpool. And I think against Liverpool and against maybe similar kinds of top-level teams that play in that kind of way, like City and Tottenham, uh, Bournemouth, but part of Bournemouth's downfall is that they're, they're, they're a really good football team and they're really good at attacking. Loads of good little players, haven't they? Really, like technically, they're probably the best team outside the top six. Uh, you know, Wolves, Leicester, etc. might have more points, but as individual footballers, the, the ability that they've got is really, really good. Um, but they try and play quite a lot. They had a couple of, you know, decent moments in this game. They had the one in the first sort of minutes or so with Ryan Fraser after the shot saved by Alisson. Um, I think that their own kind of self-determination and ability sort of does for them in a way because they're going forward there at the end you know he brings a couple of forwards on he ends up with like Josh King playing centre mid they're still getting these set pieces and they're throwing lads forwards because they want to score a goal and that goes an awful long way to making it easy for Liverpool or at least making it more possible and keeping it in Liverpool's heads that alright we're 3-0 but we can have more here so let's continue to play in the break let's continue to have this kind of front foot idea even if we're defending a free kick from 20 yards out or whatever but again I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that they all just understood each other that they were able to make those runs so the other night for example that's not just um, in terms of the forwards I felt like Van Dijk was a bit nervous against West Ham or if not if nervous isn't the right word he was very conscious of, of, of more basic things they had to do and the people around him because things just weren't going very well it felt like there was a lack of cohesion there whereas this one he completely trusts everyone around him which is why he makes that run even though we've already won the game of football, he just thinks we might score here and I might get to blam one in. And ev- and, and if we lose the ball, everything's going to be fine back there because I trust these fellas. You should see where he comes from as well, by the way. Like when the, when the move actually starts, you can sort of see him looking around going, hey, up, I'm, 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 I'm one of the And that's a brilliant thing to have because it means that although there's a gap now, going into the next games, the next league games, the European Cup tie, hopefully they maintain that level of cohesion and belief in each other that... that no matter whether it's a team that wants to play football against you or whether it's a team that just wants to sit and play, you know, six defenders and try and get out with something, that they have the ability that from any situation, even one where you're defending a set piece, we could we could have a goal within five seconds here. I think that, and also I saw, you know, for instance, when I'm talking about them sprinting forward, James, they just looked physically sharper. And you mentioned before that the manager will feel like he had a better time of preparation. That yeah. Not being great in the run-up to both Leicester and and, um, and West Ham. But it seems almost, you know, they looked sharper to me than any game since City away, arguably, and maybe even including City away, because that comes at that end of that run. It's also a physical Bournemouth side. You know, these the, the, the Lerma, Smith, I think Adam Smith's a very good player. And I'm surprised no one's had a little look at him at right back from higher up the table. Mm. Um, Fraser, they're all sharp players who've, who, who can put themselves around the pitch. And Liverpool looked like they just had them on toast really physically by the end of the game. And that is, that's back to what we saw in December. To me, it looked much more like a performance from December than one that's from January. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think seeing that energy again was probably one of the most satisfying things to take away from the entire day because, you know, there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks about being able to handle pressure. But I don't think, to me, watching that game away at West Ham, that, there was nothing to do with pressure. Liverpool were just so sluggish on yeah. the night and made so many unforced errors. And, and that, that was what I came away from that, genuinely worried because of the energy levels more than anything else, to be honest. Like, what, you know, because, you know, the, the squad has been depleted and key men looking so way off the off the pace of the game. And, yeah, you're right. That that was Liverpool of of 2018 back on on the weekend, and you know I've seen people since say it was only Bournemouth, but I actually I, I think Liverpool would have dealt with it pretty much anyone in that kind of mood on on Saturday, um, because you know, Bournemouth just couldn't live with the the tempo and the the intensity that Liverpool played with. Um, you can say it's only Bournemouth. Bournemouth at 11th, which means at the very least they're the 11th best side in the country or in that sort of company. I think we all agree broadly that Wolves. 
down to say Leicester or even Crystal Palace they're all relatively similar levels of side James my point here is that yes Liverpool have, have got to play Manchester United and they've still got to play Chelsea and they've still got to play Tottenham but everybody else who they have to play is a side who for, for whom Bournemouth is approximately par you know yeah. we've, we've got all these games to win but most of them are against Bournemouth's or worse yeah well, exactly yeah and you know and against those type of teams that is exactly what you need you need to have the ability to to stamp your authority on a game and actually pin them back and stretch them and get in behind them um and and outwork them and out outfight them and that was why the weekend was was so positive for me because i think it just it kind of eased the, all those doubts that have crept in from the start of the year really because even we, of course, when when Liverpool play poorly and win, you know, a bit like they did say at, at Brighton, where yeah. particularly eye catching, and of course, you know, we always talk don't we, about oh, that's the marker champions, you know, that's to, you know, to play play poorly it's and win. The marker lads who come fifth. <laughs> yeah, it's well, that's the thing because in the back of your mind, you're thinking it's not sustainable. You can't, you're not going to keep on playing poorly and yeah. winning, which is exactly what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. So that was why Saturday was was so so big because. That was Liverpool back to their best. It's they're not got a month, so they've still got sorry, not a month. They get ten days off until Bayern Josh. By that point, injuries are a double-edged sword. I always feel, and that you never want to see footballers be off injured. But one of the things it does is it actually means they literally don't run around very much. So by the time that we get to Bayern, uh, Trent will have had a month off. At some point, hopefully Gomez comes back. He should be relatively well rested. Same can be said for Lovren, uh, Henderson, and Wijnaldum haven't had much football in the last month uh, in terms of first team football. Other footballers have had to fill in and have had got to have a break. I think Robertson still maybe is the one who could possibly do with getting a game off somewhere. But it's the point is is that there's there is now ten days to Bayern, and yes, it'll be a big ask buying through to say Everton. Um, it's going to be a tough, tough run of games, but. We couldn't be really in much better shape, I don't think. Yeah, the the interesting dynamic I think is is with the with the next training camp coming up. I think it was mentioned on on the team talk last week by by Kev Walsh and Ian Ryan that the 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 Dubai break was almost one where you're going to see the results somewhere a bit further down the line, more so than they, they were going to be instant results. And I think that's going to be the case with their Lamanga. I think it's they're going this week. I, th- I think you're gonna you're gonna start to see a Liverpool team now who who are really really gonna start finding their rhythm and, and finding their feet in terms of the physical fitness and, and, and Bournemouth won't just be this one off. They're gonna be a team who are who are used to coming back used to these sort of two games a week now when you've got your Champions League knockout games and I think that's gonna suit them down to the ground. They may well have just had the blip, uh, eleven points from fifteen gate from fifteen possible in the blip. I would point that out, Dan, but that might well be the blip brightened through to this one against Bournemouth. There is then the break and then it does it kicks back in. It's by Munich on Tuesday the 19th, Manchester United away on Sunday the 24th, uh, Watford at home on Wednesday the 27th, and then Everton uh, away from home on the 3rd of March. This is, if this is a 1,500 metres race, the bell's just rung, there's 400 metres to go. I like the look of us. Yeah, and this is what we're in it for. Like, I completely understand pe- people feeling nervous or feeling tense about this. But this this is the part that we live for. This is why we support Liverpool. This is why we go to the match. We don't go to, to just have... You know, a bit of a nice day out with challenging for fourth, and hopefully we'll get a nice two, three nil, and it'll be easy, and then we'll go out afterwards. It's 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 for this. It's it's for this tension. This is why we exist as football supporters. So it's going to be really hard. Uh, we're not going to have fans like for that Bayern Munich game, but the fact that we just we know that the crowd's going to be rocking, and I think the fact that it comes off the back of the atmosphere being a real positive against Bournemouth is really good because I think what we can do now, although there is a small gap between the games, is through a combination of having Bayern, United, a night game at Anfield and then a derby, I feel like the momentum of the atmosphere and the positivity and the determination and everything can just sort of carry through after that because once you've done it for a month solid, no one stops, I don't think. I think it's brilliant that we've got this run now, although some people yet might say it would be better if we had everyone fully fit or whatever or if it was in a month, six weeks' time when Chamberlain's back. But in, in terms of where the football team is at and where the support is at and everyone being on the same page... I wouldn't want anything other than this run right now. I, I feel so, so excited about it. And it could, you know, it could all go wrong. This could be the bit where we have a really poor result against Bayern. We look like we're going out. Maybe we lose to United. Maybe we struggle in the two games afterwards. This, this could be the bit where the whole thing sort of unravels. Or it could be the part where we go, we could do both of these. And we think the excitement level is big now, but it could be about to get even bigger, even more realistic, even more tangible, because there's only 12 games left. 
were, we were in the pub after the game the other night and uh, Craig Hannon just came up to me and said, Dan, there's 12 games left. 12. And I went, you're lying. <laughs> and he went, no, there's 12. And showed, showed me the table. I said, 12's <laughs> not many, is it, Craig? And he went, no, it's really not. And it was that moment where it was like, we've known all season we're in a title challenge. We've known that it's realistic. We've had, you know, a, a, a big gap at the table. We've had the bit where we were chasing Manchester City. But every week now, every result, whichever way that result goes, whichever way the City and Tottenham results go, it becomes more and more real. It becomes more, you feel it more and more. And the fact now that we have these games, which are the, some of the most important of the season, full stop, regardless of the context in which you're playing them. But the fact that it, it's combined with this situation of, of, of pure intensity, pure passion, pure desire to get these things over the line, I think is fantastic. I, I can't wait for the next sort of four or five games. Um, there'll be a lot of talk about the City results James rightly so it's a big 6-0 win uh, home against a good side in Chelsea although it is worth pointing out Chelsea got beat 4-0 in the last away game by Bournemouth they look like they're having their own problems at the minute to work through I sort of wish we were playing them next to be honest with you but you can't do anything about that now um, both won tricky games though and I think that the Spurs results you know a difficult little home win against Leicester we saw what Leicester did at Anfield recently you know they got themselves 2-0 up but then Leicester did pull one back and Spurs were able to see it out my point here is that neither of these sides are stopping uh, but then if you were them you'd be thinking well Liverpool aren't stopping either and this is this is surely what this is just what a title race is we've got to all get on board with the fact that this is literally the way title races <laughs> yeah. operate yeah, yeah I don't think anyone thought it was going to be easy and you know I think the weekend Sunday just underlined that I think contrasting performances weren't they from City and Spurs I thought the Spurs were really lucky to beat to beat Leicester the chances that Leicester had um, I know Spurs are you can't say they're not in it but I, I still think it's a, a two horse race I, I don't see Liverpool and City slipping up sufficiently for, for Spurs to I think Spurs will have a say obviously in who does win it because obviously the, the fixtures they've got left but um, no they weren't particularly convincing um, obviously City did what we know they can do they're helped by an absolutely abject Chelsea performance but I think the thing is, you just no 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 need to get too het up in what City do. You've got to remember, you know, they can't affect Liverpool's last twelve games. You know, Liverpool just have to take care of their own business. There's no, there's nothing to be gained from from worrying. And you know, you see people on social media fretting because of how fluent and devastating City were. But you know, the fact of the matter is, there's absolutely nothing they can do if Liverpool perform like they like they, we know they can do during the running. You excited? Absolutely, yeah. Dan, Dan's rallying cries just made just made me go. <laughs> like I, I think I actually didn't realise how how like little twelve games is left. But yes, it's it's massively exciting. And like Dan says, it's it's now a challenge on two fronts, which I think people have been almost too quick to write off all season. Is that they're saying? And it's you know, a chance on two fronts for Tottenham and City as well. Tottenham have got Dortmund this week. Yes, City have got Schalke. And we expect that to be more straightforward. Though hopefully Schalke will kick them. Um, well, City's is four. City's is four fronts. And City's is four yeah. fronts. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I just think for 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 us in terms of. Uh, the way our support space probably looked at it for most of the season it's like oh we're going for the league and this is the only thing we need to go for but it's going to become quite clear now and hopefully with the injuries coming back as well the squad looks a bit more bolstered that, you tell that, those footballers they're not trying to win both yeah exactly absolutely you, you, you go to Virgil van Dijk and say hey Bayern today you're not fancy it no <laughs> it's gonna be, they're going to be right up for it they're all going to be absolutely right up for it and I'm excited excited indeed dead quick just out of interest don't normally do this on the Monday but man of the match from Saturday James uh, Wijnaldum Wijnaldum Yep, you gave it in the paper. Uh, Dan, <laughs> you've written it down once. <laughs> For a man that couldn't get off the bog all week, that was uh, frankly incredible. It, it, it has to be him. It has to be Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum. Mine's Wijnaldum. I was, I was wondering if wow. we could do a non-Wijnaldum one. You want to do a non-Wijnaldum? <laughs> just out of interest, who would you want non-Wijnaldum? I was going to go for me, and that was my non-Wijnaldum. Uh, excellent stuff. All right. Thank you very much indeed uh, to Josh, to Dan, and to James. Uh, thank you very much to Red Spare for supporting the Anfield Wrap through 2019. Uh, you know what to do there and all that sort of stuff if you want to. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. It's going to be a fantastic build-up towards Bayern Munich. You know where we are, the Anfield Wrap.com forward slash subscribe for all all the tour player stuff until then let's just really enjoy this because trust me it does not get any better sports social podcast network